Hello. You're on with Nick and Fiona. I think we've had so many awards we can't even count them anymore. Hi, you're listening to The Playlist. I'm Fiona Williams and I'm with my co-host, Nick Basim. Hey, Nick. Hello. Hi. I'm super excited about today's episode. We're packing so much in. We've got an interview with a super fan, an Australian super fan of The Bridge. We've got an interview with Clay's Bang, the star of The Square, which is the Swedish movie nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. And we are going to be talking about our Oscar predictions, which is absolutely guaranteed. And I don't even know if it's legal to say this, but I'm saying it anyway. It's guaranteed to make you money because these picks are going to be so good. But first, The Bridge. Well, Australia's super fan. That's right. So Tanya Modini was shipped over to Copenhagen, or she won a prize. a competition. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It was on Facebook. Yeah. I just really want to meet Tanya because I want to get into the head of what is a super fan. Like, everyone has their favourite shows. We we do our What Have You Been Watching, and sometimes it's something we love. I I want to meet someone who's taken that to the next level and won a trip and won a competition and went off to Denmark to the premiere of The Bridge. Yeah. What does a super fan of The Bridge look like? It's a pretty dark crime show. So Extremely I know, dark. I don't know yes. what... Uh... And The Bridge, we must say, you probably know about it since you're listening to an SBS podcast. Um, this is one of the shows that we get asked the most about. When's The Bridge back on? Very when can popular. I see The Bridge? How can I see The Bridge? Well, yes, Series 4 is now available at SBS On Demand. It's all just dropped there as a nice little treat for everyone. But you can also catch it Thursdays on SBS Australia main channel. That's right. And it's the final season, so, so everyone's going to wrap up. Yeah, I'm very excited about it and sorry to see the show go. Yeah, and I remember the first episode of the series back in the day. Such a fascinating premise, the bridge in Sweden, the bridge between Sweden and Denmark. Right. There's a body on the bridge and cut in half. Oh, yes. Cut in half and it's very It's on both sides, but in, in both countries at the at same the time. Crossing, it's very border related, you know, the, the differences between Sweden and Denmark, but, you know, also what makes them similar. It, it sort of investigates all of the social elements of And at the centre of it is countries. a deeply, fa- deeply flawed detective. Mm. Well, you need one of those, don't you, in a... I guess so. In a noir. Tanya knows more about all of this stuff than we do, so let's talk to her about it. Well, you'd expect of a super fan. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us, Tanya. Thank you. Big question. How does one become Australia's super fan of The Bridge? I have to be crowned super fan. I still don't know. I got crowned super fan at the premiere that evening in Copenhagen. So that was by Frederick from Nimbus. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm not sure whether I like the term, but let's go with it. (laughs) Oh, we are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, It was just I entered a competition on Facebook. They were handing out. I can't even remember the number, four free tickets or something to go to the premiere in Copenhagen. I sent a photo in that I'd taken of myself and my stepson with the bridge in the background, uh, which he was thrilled to bits the about. He just, a screen of the show or the No, no, the we went, we, we travelled there in 2016. Uh, yeah, right. so we all got to pick somewhere to go. So I picked, I was going to cross that bridge. And the so, bridge. Oh, cool. The bridge. So we crossed the bridge and then painstakingly tried to set up a shot just for a bit of fun sure that was as similar as we could to the promo shot so my stepson was thrilled to bits as you can imagine he was 10 at the time all he (laughs) wanted to do was get to Legoland and he had to stand there and uh, stand on a rock so he was as tall as me and uh, anyway (laughs) and and long story but entered that and uh and they thought it was pretty funny and said yeah yeah come along and I just went okay why not 
So is Why that, not? that's how you won with the photo? That's right, yeah. What, was, what were they asking for? They were just asking for, show us why you're a fan. Oh. Let us know why you're a big fan, basically. And so people put in various bits and pieces, you know, photos of their cat that was called Saga, other, other photos that had been set up of people walking across the bridge that were similar to other promo shots for the show, that sort of thing. And was it aimed at Australians? No, no, it was worldwide. It was just on their Facebook page, Bron Bron. Yeah. Wow, worldwide if competition. That's how you pronounce it. Mm. A that's worldwide, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I sat next to a guy who was from Israel, but he was studying in Denmark. So he was one of the other winners as well. And he, he was lovely. And I think there were some people from Sweden there and some people from Finland as well. But I think I got the gong for coming the longest distance. Yeah. yeah so they must sure. have been surprised to get a. They were, they were, yeah. Well, they were surprised that I actually went, (laughs) (laughs) as were a lot of people. Yeah, they were very surprised and they were so hospitable. They were just so lovely. The production company is very small. I mean, it may, their location is very small. And so when I first arrived, they um, invited me over for lunch that day and I went and met the crew and the producer, Bo Erhart, I hope is the correct pronunciation. This is going to go on the whole time, isn't it, this pronunciation thing? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of names <laughs> that we're throwing around. So they were just absolutely delightful. They were very, very lovely. So let's get down to it. Okay. Um, the Bridge, when did you first start watching? What is it about it that, that appeals to you to become a super fan? Okay. Um, I think I was looking for something different to look for on television and I honestly, Sophia Helen asked me that question too and I have no idea when I first read about it or got onto it. I think I watch a lot of SBS On Demand so possibly I read an article that was about the bridge and started watching it. Well, what's, uh, set the scene. What's your t- what was your TV uh, watching like in general in 2011 when the show started? Uh, I can't even recall anything back in 2011. Look, my film and television background is stuff that is a little bit unusual. I'm a bit of a David Lynch fan. My first interaction with anything from Scandinavia was probably Lars von Trier back when he made The Kingdom. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah, I loved The Kingdom. So I used to sit up and watch that on a Saturday night. Sit up, it was probably on at about (laughs) 8.30. But yeah, so I've always been interested in the way that they incorporate their sense of humour along with the drama but still don't lose any of the drama. So it doesn't it doesn't take away and, and David Lynch has a bit of a gift for that as well. Mm. So I like that 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 creativity and that that sort of point of difference. Do you watch lots of Scandinavian shows? Other I have been since the bridge. Like what? Uh, I have the watched, bridge was the first. It's the one yeah that, it, that was my introduction to okay. it. And since then we have watched George Scott. Yeah, we have watched Accused, the Norwegian one. Midnight Sun? No, that may not be SBS. Yeah, Midnight Midnight Sun. Sun. I watched Monster. I just finished watching Monster. Yeah. Have you watched that? Not yet. That's interesting. Did you like it? Yeah. I mean, The the Bridge is always so fast, always going to be the winner for me in in terms of complexity and character development. But Monster gave it a pretty good nudge. Yeah. But sounds it, like you're spending a lot of time on SBS On Demand. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems to be it's my a happy go-to coincidence. app. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily. No, we need to bottle it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Series 4, yep, coming two years after Series 3 and mm-hmm. the events of the show, what are you expecting? And, of course, this is a final season, so mm. talk us through it. As a super fan, your, your favourite show's ending. What's, As a super fan. How does it's one devastating, feel? isn't it? Mm. Um Look, we've had four seasons, which I think is more. I think Scandi things tend to do three. So I'm pretty happy that they've done the four, even though there's there's only eight episodes versus ten episodes. I've seen the first two. Um, 
I was incredibly jet lagged that night because I was only there for four nights and it was a massive cinema. But um, the first two episodes were very, very interesting and have had that complexity that you expect from the bridge and the red herrings were already starting to be thrown out yeah. at that point. So I've seen on social media that uh, Sophia Helen's handed in her saga ID, the police no. IDs up there today no. saying thanks very much and see you later. <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, it's it's a television series. It's been interesting. It's it's all got to come to an yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> are there certain things that you are looking, certain questions you're looking to be answered, or certain things that you want out of this last series? Um, I suppose we need to know what's happened to Onrek's kids. We found the we found the wife, so we need to know what's happened to his kids. I think we find out where the Porsche comes from. From what I've read, you know, what the story behind why she drives that Porsche and how she how she came to acquire that, which is interesting. So uh, according to the writers, it's tying up all the loose ends that we all want to know about her family, background, a little bit more about her sister. Um, I'm making this up now. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're we're on board. (laughs) So the bridge, it's been shown in over 100 countries worldwide. Mm. It's a huge, huge hit. Yeah. Why, Why do you think that show in particular is so, resonates so much with people outside of Denmark? Look, I think the last series is about identity. That's the theme. It's about identity. But I think The Bridge has always been about identity. It's been about what happens when you don't tick the boxes for the society that we live in and what's 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 acceptable, high-level acceptability in the society that we live in. What happens? How, how do you get through? And I think Saga's been a fantastic example of somebody who doesn't have any social skills. They've never given her a diagnosis of being on the spectrum, which apparently was so that they could expand whatever they wanted her to do would not be limited by diagnosis. So um, I think it's fantastic to have a really strong female lead who doesn't subscribe to any of the rules of femininity either. She's not in a box in, in any way, shape or form. And I think people like that. There's a lot of people who have never felt that they've sort of fit in and been able to tick those boxes. So when you see people like Saga on the screen being the star of the show, I think that's that's really, that really, really important for everyone to see that. And then Martin, I guess, was more of a conventional male character who was a bit of her protector, but now we have Onrek, who also is a bit of an outsider and who also ticks those, I'm doing okay, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not your classic male sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah, so I think, that, I think that strikes a chord with a lot of people, certainly strikes a chord with me. I don't want to see some countries make the same sort of stuff over and over that with the same sort of looking people who are all doing the same things and the bridge most certainly doesn't do that and I think that's its strength. Mm. And also it touches on, I'm just going to keep on going here, and also it touches on a lot of... Um, don't stop. <laughs> it also touches on a lot of societal issues constantly and that's what's fascinating about it. So you're not just a serial killer, you're a serial killer because you've got a cause that you're killing for and... Um, Clearly that doesn't make it any better, but it just makes it a lot more interesting. And so they can weave a lot more intrigue into that plot, utilising that sort of stuff. You mentioned that in your um, interview um, on the red carpet. Yeah. That the show touches on uh, themes that you're particularly interested in that Mm. kind of intersect with what you do for a living. Is that right? 
Yeah, I have been. I was a police officer. Um, I've done a lot of things for a living, but I spent about uh, nine years as a police officer as well in Queensland. I now uh, am a manager for the Brisbane Domestic Violence Service, which is a not run an, in a non-for-profit company called MICA in uh, in Brisbane. So we're a big service. We have 50 staff. So that's a, probably a sad indication of the level of domestic violence that goes on. But yeah, I, I have a policing background. So I suppose that sort of thing interests me as well and watching flawed yet likeable characters in police dramas who don't always get it right and take a bit of time to get used to each other makes more sense to me than than seeing anything else. Does that mean you don't gravitate towards regular procedurals like uh, CSI and that kind of thing? No, I, d- I haven't really. And that's, you know, I, I just haven't really got to CSI or, or any of those sort of things. It's a little bit too flash for me. Mm. I like it to be dirty. I do. Yeah, 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 I do. And real, you know, no one, no one's dressed up in the bridge. And I'll you know, keep on using that as an example. That's what we're talking about. There's not a whole lot of makeup going on there for Saga. There's a, there's a scene in, and I probably can't talk about Siri. I can't talk about the next one, can I? Well, but, try, and, try to avoid spoilers. Mm, just just no, a certainly, certainly not going to be a spoiler, but I mean, it was a massive screen that I was watching this on, but there is a scene that is a extreme close-up of Saga, I think, in episode one or two. And uh, there's not a Skerica makeup going on there and there is nothing glamorous about that shot whatsoever. Mm. And I like that because that's that's reality. We're not all walking around looking like the people in CSI with the fans going and the and the right. wonderful clothes and high heels to run after the baddies in. Yeah, that's just not practical, is no, it? No, it's never been practical. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I like that. It's, it's, it's more real. Did you find it striking to see... Um Sophia, Sophia on uh, the red carpet because she looks very different to how she, she looks completely on the show. different. Yeah, she's 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 very tiny and she was very lovely. The guy who was interviewing me from DRK, yeah, he stopped talking to me and we sort of turned around and watched Sophia and Tua come in, and he was almost type of you know he was like, oh my god, I can't <laughs> believe this. How are you feeling? Oh my god, oh my god, and I was going, I'm I'm okay, I'm projecting much. actually. <laughs> Yeah, and he was going. You know that he is. He was really focusing in on Tua. He is a massive star here. He's done X, Y, and Z. And uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So I was trying to settle him down. But he was. He was lovely. He was delightful. But um, they were both charming and very impressed that I'd travelled all that way as well. It wasn't Saga though. Yeah. It certainly wasn't Saga. Yeah, it right. was a, a very, very nice woman called Sophia and I think we'd all like to meet Saga. You know, we all want Saga to arrive in the boots and the jacket. And it was funny because when, when they asked me to go to lunch at the studios, I walked from, I was sort of in the city at this sort of the equivalent of Meyer, and I looked at my GPS and I thought, God, I've got half an hour to get there. I'll kick off. Walk past the cinema that it was happening at in the middle of the day. The, the event that night was happening or the next night or something. And the Porsche was parked out. The oh, yeah. front of the cinema, and I thought that was just such a surreal, bizarre moment. It was just sort of parked there, and the producer was backing it into the cinema for the uh, premiere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I thought was quite funny. It's a pretty funny video. You've, <laughs> you've been yeah. trotted out to look. Here's your biggest fan from across the world. It's, yeah, it must be so weird trying to just have a relatable conversation. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was very weird, and I think I, I was probably speaking fast, and I think there was a little bit of them going, particularly Sophia going. I wonder what she's saying, but I'm just going to smile smile and say I'm really happy that you're here. (laughs) Yeah. 
was that the extent of your interaction with them? What we saw on camera, or there were, did you hang out later? No, at, at no, the no. I, I party? had that. I, I probably, in a perfect world, I would have hung. They were going onto a bar and they were doing that sort of stuff. I was just completely shattered with jet lag. So mm, it makes it tough. Yeah, I did. I did the interviews. I, I was thrilled to bits to actually meet them and be part of that and and get to meet the people behind the bridge as well. And here, Bo in particular was really interested to know how I thought the transition and how everybody thought the transition from Martin to Onrek went mm. in the show because mm-hmm. this sounds like there was a bit of argy-bargy that went on there. Oh. So, yeah, that seemed to be an important factor that they were interested to know. <laughs> what did you yeah. tell them? I like um, Onrek. I think he brings a lot more for me personally to the mm-hmm. show. I mean, you know, Martin was great, but yeah, for the reasons I said earlier, I think that I think that um, Onrek is a, a lot more multidimensional, a lot more interesting. Yeah. So, for people who are slow to catch up and haven't come to the bridge yet, how would you describe it to them to to get them on on board? If you want multi-layered crimes, exceptionally well written, I think personally, the production is in, of a very, very high quality. If crime is, if crime shows are what you're into and you want something that has a little bit of a twist and you also want some pretty impressive character development over the course of the series, they're not stagnant. They change and, and develop together as the series goes on. Um, yeah, I don't think you can beat the bridge. I'm you know, maybe I am a super fan. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously don't speak Danish or, well, it's not obvious. Maybe I do. Maybe you do. But I'm telling you I don't. Okay. Uh, we'll I don't speak Danish that. or Swedish. So I, apparently there are some um, nuances that you can, that you pick up in terms of the differences in the cultures. Like there's inside references in the show. I'm wondering, if, since you're mm. a big fan, if you've been able to pick up on that or read about it and been able to recognize things at all? There was just a couple of things with on the night. I, I haven't really within the show, but I think there's a bit of um, the Danes thinking the Swedes don't break the rules. Oh. I think there's a bit of that sort of going on maybe, uh, I'm, but I'm not sure. I, I really can't answer that question. That was just from a comment that... Um, Swedes are a bit uptight, that's what you're saying. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not actually saying that. I'm just saying that maybe the Danes think that the Swedes are, um, uh, like to stick to the rules. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. That's interesting. I don't, know. I don't know. That's just something that I got a little bit of a feel for just listening to the people that night speak. Right. Cool. And, and maybe it's a bit of a friendly banter that goes on between the two of them. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It's better than news that the head of DRK has said that they're looking to adapt the Nordic noir genre a little bit so it doesn't feel tired and become stale yep. and all the things you, yep. you know, said you don't like. How interested are you in the way that it's changing and, and evolving as a, as a genre? Are you talking about the more, um, what's the word, where we're getting the supernatural sort of stuff coming into mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that really is starting to come into play, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I have a partner at home who, once that starts, she says, no, turn it off. I'm not watching that. So that happened with George Scott. We had a little sprinkling of that going on with George Scott. So she then became uninterested. So I'm interested. Mm. I like horror and, and supernatural stuff as a genre as well. So it'll be interesting. I don't know. It starts to become something different, doesn't it? If people like it because of its gritty realism, mm. introducing fantasy might... Uh completely destroy it. Yeah, it's possible, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the fact that they're weaving some of the cultural aspects of the Sami people into some of the Nordic noir that I've watched. Um, I think that gives it a whole other dimension without going into the supernatural stuff that may well destroy it. Mm. I think when people think about a TV show super fan, mm-hmm. they might have a certain, like a T-shirt wearing, a flag waving yeah, type of yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know 
You're a different kind of, what's it like being the, this is your favorite show, I assume. I, I think we've established that. <laughs> so, I, yes. So are you, are you on message boards or is it just Facebook? No, no, or no, no, is no, 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 I just, I, I watch it. Look, I, <laughs> you seem to have accepted the mantle of super fan a little reluctantly. But okay, you... all right, well, I am a super fan and, but no, I'm not a, a flag waving super fan. I, I like, I like it because it's clever. I, I I like all the aspects of the clever production and I like the clever character development and particularly the clever writing. So I'm interested in the behind the scenes stuff, probably more so, and the character development more so than coming in dressed as Saga today, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. fair. Okay. Well, it's a podcast. If it had been a TV <laughs> yeah. show that we were shooting. Yeah, a little bit different perhaps I would have. Yeah, true. We, it would have been a requirement. <laughs> Did you... um? Princess Mary over there? They asked me about Princess Mary. They said, what do you have, you know, why are you here? Like, what is it about Denmark that brings you in? Is it just the bridge and Princess Mary? And I said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You're big too. <laughs> but no, no, Copenhagen's a, a wonderful uh, city and I would travel back there as often as I possibly could. And this, as, as a super fan, I wanted to go to the premiere, but it was also an extremely convenient excuse to go back to Copenhagen as well. <laughs> totally. And so where do you go from here? What's your next obsession? Yeah, what's the next obsession? <laughs> I what don't competitions know. Are you I don't know. I've watched, what have I been watching lately? And I know you asked this, so I, I, I thought about what have I been yeah, watching. Right and right. I've watched Search Party. Excellent. Oh. So I've watched the first two series of Search Party and I quite liked that. That that was that was kind of interesting. It, it, it did that little bit of kind of got the sense of humour with a, a little bit of the drama, not quite as much as the drama, more of the sense of humour, but um, more of the sort of comedy aspects, but yeah, a bit, bit Seinfeld of the of the new generation, isn't it? Yeah. Really unlikable, self-absorbed people, yeah. but you yeah. kind of you kind of can't stop watching them. Yeah. So I liked Search Party, and as I said, I've just finished watching Monster, so um, that was pretty impressive. But I've got to catch up with my films. I've got to go. I've got to watch the Academy Award. Two words. Why can't I think of it? Get out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really interested. Do you watch all the movies for the Academy Awards? I used before to, the... and. I I gave up on movies a little while ago. I think something happened where it was just all becoming too formulaic for me. Mm-hmm. And I probably wasn't searching hard enough either for ones that weren't formulaic. But it seems to be then it crossed over into television and television was doing a lot more exciting, more interesting, quirky sort of stuff. Yeah. Hopefully it'll, that'll flip back into movies again now because Get Out certainly has an interesting feel about it. That other film that I was watching the short for the other day, um, Tony Collette is in it. Wait, a new movie with Tony Collette? A new movie, a new horror movie with Tony Collette? Oh, yes, yes. Yes. That was at Sundance, yeah. The Sundance one Mm. that got all the the acclaim, yeah. What was that? What's that one called? I can't remember what it's called. Hereditary. Hereditary, thank you. Now I remember. I've seen the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it looks interesting. Mm. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. And given your love of all things Scandi, The Square is coming out. That's the Oscar nominee for foreign language film, Swedish film. Okay. You're going to go see it. If you're into offbeat, unusual drama slash dark comedy that could be yeah, one for you it's I worth think. you've seen that yeah, yeah it's yeah. pretty okay. weird it's definitely worth watching it's pretty weird lots okay. there's a lot going on all right i'll take you up <laughs> it's on an that experience. and go and have a look yes yeah okay <laughs> an experience is good well tanya thanks so much for stopping by it's been a great chat i've never it's been met a thrill a super fan of the bridge <laughs> before and <laughs> well there you go it turns out you guys are fantastic <laughs> it's a red letter day <laughs> <laughs> it is. okay thank you very much it's been a pleasure coming in thank, thank you, you. Well, that was not what I expected. I thought she would be wearing a T-shirt, a big <laughs> hat, a big goofy hat of some kind, or a, a big bridge, bridge hat. 
Um, but she was lovely. She was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, maybe you consider yourself Australia's biggest super fan of the bridge. Sorry, that mantle is taken, but... Yeah, nice try. Yeah, <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, But as we said, you can catch the entire Series 4 of The Bridge, the brand new series, the final season at SBS On Demand, or if you'd rather watch it in instalments, you can catch it every Thursday on SBS. Staying with our Nordic theme, we have a Swedish film that is now in cinemas in Australia, The Square, which won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival of 2017 uh, and is in the running for the foreign language Oscar come Monday. What are the biggest challenges in running a museum? We're a museum of modern and contemporary art, so we need to present art that is the art of today, art that is absolutely cutting edge and the competition is fierce. If you place an object in a museum, mm. for instance, if we took your bag and placed it here, would that make it art? Ah. How often would you say that you take women that you don't know very well and have sex with them? You know their names? Yeah. So what's my name? So The Square, this is the new film from Ruben Ostland, the Swedish director, who you may know from the film Force Majeure, which came out a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've seen that one, Nick. I've rented it, um, but it's uh, I haven't watched <laughs> it In yet. the queue. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I love that film. It's, it's um, a great premise. Yeah, the premise is fantastic. It's a family on a skiing holiday at a Swedish resort. It's all Swedish, of course. And they're on a break at one of the lodges with outdoor seating, having lunch, and then in the vague distance you see an avalanche, what what slowly becomes apparent is going to be quite a large avalanche. Coming slowly at first, but then, oh, my goodness, there's an avalanche. In the chaos, Dad picks up his gloves, bolts, <laughs> leaving <laughs> mum and kids. It's so um, funny. Yeah, and then when the dust settles, the snow settles even, and the avalanche passes, danger is no more. Dad has to come back yeah. and face the music for having abandoned them. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's brilliant. Love it. So there's elements of that in the square as well. Like he really does capture those excruciating moments of awkwardness and pain, and especially with men. Like he loves stories of men humiliating themselves. Like so, it's the main dude um, played by Clay's Bang is put in so just so many difficult positions <laughs> where like every almost every scene, I think he's in almost yeah, all of them. Right? Mm -hmm. What's he supposed to do? Like, no matter what he does, it's painful and difficult. I was transfixed watching him be punished like this yeah. over and over again. So the premise here, he plays a very successful art curator, sort of the director of the ex-Royal Art Museum in Sweden. So the preeminent art museum and calamity over the course of a couple of days, wherein there's a terrible social media campaign for a new installation. An agency creates a meme that is terrible and has major repercussions for him. He has his wallet stolen in a confidence trick and he attempts to try and the culprit and then gets hunted by a small boy who gets the blame somehow. Um, he has a one-night stand and just does not trust the woman that he's sleeping with and they have a tussle over a condom. And it, it's, yeah, everything. Yeah, this doesn't even speak to the part of how excruciating the whole thing is, but he has a series of very, very bad days. It mixes the intense real life, the, the difficulty of some of these situations in real life with absurdity. And I loved how he balances that tricky tone. Yeah. Because, and it's also, it's kind of long. The movie's not- It's extremely long. It's not yeah. short. But yeah. 
it's really engrossing and engaging. I, I and I was with it the whole way. Yeah, it's not laugh out loud. It's just an yeah. undertone of complete awkwardness in this. Like with the one night stand played by Elizabeth Moss, SBS's right. own Handmaid's right. Tale's That's own right. Elizabeth Moss. After their one night stand, she confronts him in the gallery and they're trying to have a conversation about the awkwardness of having just slept together and there is a banging, <laughs> yeah. this it's pretty loud, funny. ridiculous noise that keeps interrupting what is an already painful conversation. Just things like that where awkward moments are made even more awkward and extend that, make that scene go for about 10, 15 minutes. So it's, yeah, you're sort of living a real-time awkwardness. And there's a monkey element throughout the film as well. She inexplicably has a monkey in her apartment. Yeah. And there is this incredible central scene in the movie on this very bad day for Clay Banks' character, Christian. And this isn't giving anything away. It's a gala dinner, really, at the, um, at the museum. And a physical performer comes in as a monkey. He's do- doing a monkey, monkey he's got arm extenders to make him walk on all fours like a gorilla might. And um, he is being very real. He's very committed to his monkey gorilla role. And he makes everyone very uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. So, it, And, of course, that speaks to the whole film. Is look, It reduces everyone, mainly its lead character, to animal instincts and kind of like at your most basic level, cut everything back down to your yeah. most ape-like and do do? see what happens. Yes. Yeah, so there's a real monkey ape motif in this. Played by Terry Natari, who is – he does – the physical movements for Planet of the Apes and the Kong movies. So this is like Hollywood's go-to guy for... I thought that was Andy Serkis. No. He plays other characters as well, but Terry oh, has does. the real moves. He has the arm. He has the yeah, right. sort of the crutches that they use for the, the actual movements. Andy does the voices and the motion capture faces. That guy in the in the square? Terry Natari, yes, is the physical oh, right. apes. Okay. He certainly did a great job. <laughs> he certainly makes a good ape. Not all of us can say that. Maybe at one time. Millions of years ago. We were lucky enough to talk to the star of the movie, Clay's Bang, about being in the movie, being in Nordic noir shows. He's also in The Bridge, early seasons. Yeah. Fun to talk to, good sense of humour. Let's hear it. Well, today, you're just my second. So this is absolutely fine. But I I think for, for the film, I'm like, over 500 now. 500. <laughs> We're going to ask completely original questions. Yes. You'll never have heard these questions before. This will be like, unlike <laughs> any I'm, interview I'm, you've done I'm before. I'm looking so much forward to it. <laughs> All they manage to expectations. It's going to be amazing. I love it. It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Let's do it. It's cool. Um, Let's do it. Absolutely. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Um, just watch the movie. It's incredible. It's a pretty big experience. And it won the Palm d'Or. Everyone, yes. everyone seems to think um, you're a fantastic dreamboat after this movie. How does that feel to suddenly be achieve dreamboat status? <laughs> oh my god! Um, well, I'm I'm happy about all the positive, you know, all the positive things that people are saying. So, so yeah. I'd probably love it more. Uh, I, I don't know what, what I, I mean. To be a dream, but that's fine as well. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. It's great. I mean, it's, it's great. It's great. <laughs> yes, it's cool. Listen, it's been such a pleasure and such a privilege doing this film. And I've had so many positive reactions. And that is uh, absolutely one of them. And, and I love it. It's fine. 
think the, it's, it's great. Yeah. When the film was done, did anyone expect this kind of reaction to the film and to you, the way the way it's unfolded? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is something you think too much about while you do it. While you do it, it's really just this was really hard work. This was like 80 shooting days, and I was there for 78, and. So you just, we just kept at it and just kept working, working, working. So I had no idea. I mean, I, I definitely knew right from the very first casting that this was special. I, I definitely knew that. I remember going to the first casting and coming back home to my wife and saying, this is fucking amazing. This is insane. <laughs> this story is something so much out of the ordinary. And I just, I wanted it so badly. I really just wanted it so badly. So I definitely had the feeling, you know, from the first casting when he talked me through the whole film and, and I got the sense of the story and everything. I, I just had this feeling, this is really, really special, that it was going to do as well as it has and won all these awards. I think, I mean, just this Sunday, we just won the Danish film prize for best foreign film, and we won the Spanish one as well. Mm. I think we've had so many awards, we can't even count them anymore. It's been insane. And... um there was no way of knowing that, but I definitely had the feeling from the very first time I met with Ruben for this, that this was like very special. Because there is a lot going on in this film and, you know, your, your, Christian, mm-hmm. your character Christian, he goes on quite a journey, I guess it's, it's fair to say. In mm-hmm. as much as you can distill it, what is it about for you and sort of what, what, what's sort of the nugget of the story that, that really, from the first you said you, you really felt it was going to be amazing? Well, I thought that when for the first casting what I was asked to do is I was asked to write and prepare the speech that I give in the museum to the audience when I present the square mm-hmm. and then I got to the first casting and Ruben sat me down and he talked me through the whole story and I just I just had the feeling that um I think it was a mix of you know knowing how he works he he just I mean he wants to do just one scene a day max which allows you as an actor to really get into it dig deep and 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 really explore and investigate what can you do with this character because there's no rush you know you you really get the chance to do and that was very appealing to me and then i thought that you know i really liked the idea of taking on this character and just because, I mean, he's in a lot of very different, very strange situations. And just, you know, just being allowed to sort of see, okay, what, I mean, on this day he does this, and um, on this day he does that. And then just to sort of get the opportunity to try and do all these different situations and all these weird things with a character, I mean, that was very appealing to me. So that was basically what I really liked about it when I got home from the first casting. I I thought that, and then I also thought that, I mean, you know, the, the, the dramaturgy of the story is very off. It's not, it's not, I mean, you can't really fit it into any sort of thing that you know. It doesn't fit into anything. And I really like that sort of, way that he has a working where you're always left with a lot of questions and it seems that you always go out of every scene before you get the answer mm-hmm. and that very sort of dynamic has a has a very interesting feel to it so I well I just thought that everything about it was brilliant and I, obviously I'd seen Force Michelle as well yeah 
Um, on Force Majeure, I love that film too. And, you know, you, you can tell they're made by the same director in the way, you know, he really gets inside the ego and I guess like the male ego particularly and what happens under pressure when the screws are tightening. Um, what, what's that like as an actor? Like what does it do to your own ego sort of and on set do you just have to check your ego at the door and, and commit? Well, I mean, it's not about my ego in the, in the first place. Sure. I mean, it's like so that is not part of the equation in any way anyway. So... He said almost every day when we were shooting, he said almost every day, nobody's going to leave the set today with any kind of dignity. <laughs> um, and that is just not true because, I mean, as an actor, you, you go in there and you and you just want to explore this situation, this character. What can you do with him here? What, well, I mean... Can we go this way? Can we go this way round it? Can we go backwards? Can we go forwards? Can, what can we do here? And if you've got the sense that you did that on the day, you don't leave the set with no dignity. You leave it with every kind of dignity because you've really delivered everything so that he can sort of edit his film in any which way he wants to. So I never actually had the feeling that I left the set. I think this was a saying. I mean, this, this is more about how the character is left with absolutely... Because, I mean, in almost every scene, all the characters seem stripped of their dignity, but as an actor, I never had that feeling. I always had the feeling that I got all the... I, I never had so much time, so much space, so much trust on a set as this. I mean, I've never had a director that allowed me to do a 100 takes to sort of just see, can we do this? Can we do something like, can we go in another direction? Can we get even deeper in here? Can we dig sort of deeper into this? What can we do? And and that is not to leave you with no dignity. That's actually to sort of give you all the dignity that you actually can get because this is this is allowing you to, as an actor, to do your craft at the most. So I had never had that feeling that I think this was something that it sounded great and it was good fun and I definitely know what he means but I think it's more in terms of the character than it is in terms of the actor sure. I never had the feeling that I that I left the set with no dignity sure. on the contrary I'd say um, your character goes through so many different kinds of situations and there, so many of them are very uncomfortable and it seems like you um you play with your hair a lot. And uh, I was wondering how, <laughs> what role that plays in the complexity of the character and in acting in general, because I loved it. And you have a, a tremendous head of hair. Sorry well, about this I, I dreamboat stuff. But you, you have now put a question to me that I have never heard before. Bingo. Thank you very much. Boom. Let's, uh, let's end on a high. <laughs> Thanks for your time. <laughs> That's great. Um, I, I, I haven't thought about that. Do I play with my hair a lot in the film? Yeah, very nice. much. Yeah, and it's it's tremendous hair, but it's oh. you can tell that there's there's other things going on. It's like uh, somebody when they're if they're acting with their glasses a lot, that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, I think what Ruben wants, he's got this thing. I mean, he just he, as I just said, he just wants to do one scene a day. And sometimes we did one scene for like one or two or three days. But what his thing is, and he's not, it's not like a big secret or it's not like trying to trick the actors or anything. 
What he wants to do is he sort of wants to exhaust you into not thinking, into not playing, into not acting, into not doing anything else than just being there. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Do you, uh, do you know what I mean? I mean, he, he wants you to sort of get to a point where you stop wanting to do something specific with the scene. You, he just wants the scene to take over. So you just go with what is there. And if that at some point has made me play a lot with my hair. <laughs> You're going to go and watch it again now, aren't you? <laughs> well, it was almost... No, it's fine, I'm sure. It was no, almost like really a... <laughs> like it would come at moments of after he... great stress, you know, and then maybe it's a kind of a, compose, yeah, a composing yeah. move, self-composure somehow. A composer, yeah. I mean, I, that's that's his his thing is like sort of getting you into. I mean, doing so many takes that you sort of stop. I mean, as an actor, you might sometimes have an idea that okay, I that the character should do this or that, and we want to take. I want to take the scene in that direction, or this line. I sh this should come from here, or we should do. I mean, and Ruben hates all that. He doesn't want that. He wants you to just be there and just fucking just relate to what is going on here right now with that actress or actor that is standing in front of you. It's so brilliant to have someone to give you that much time and because sometimes it takes, sometimes it takes a lot of time to sort of, you know, strip your, I mean, you need to sort of lose all your, I don't know. I don't know what you need to lose actually, but you need to get yourself into a space where you stop producing, you stop wanting to do something, you stop acting, you stop wanting, you don't, you, you're just there, and that's what he wants. Right. And I, I think that is why there is, I mean, there are so many scenes in this film where I, I, I for instance, when, when I'm in the office writing that note with my, with my assistant, mm -hmm. when I look at that scene, I think it's like, I've got the idea there are two actors there, but they've got no fucking idea there's a camera in the room. <laughs> they, it's just like it's just like watching two little boys playing with a with with that forbidden toy, you know. And and I think that's a brilliance of what he he does. I mean, the, the way that he can sort of he just keeps on pushing you until you sort of he doesn't want more acting or more anything. He just wants you to sort of relax and and do nothing and and his way of doing it is sort of slightly exhausting you into a, a state we're not sort of resisting anymore you just go with it you just go with the flow sure. right. and i really want to ask you about the monkey dinner scene how long like yeah. how many takes did you do of that um and how much of what was going on were you aware would happen or were you, were you watching it all unfold as everyone else well did? um we shot that scene over three days. Wow. Um, and um, everybody in that room is actually people from the art world in Stockholm and Sweden with a face to lose in the art world. <laughs> Real people. Right. Not, I mean, those people are actually people... And I've got no idea how he managed to get all those people into that same room at the same time. 
and I know that he sort of did some rehearsing with Terry Nostry before to sort of... I mean, obviously, I read the script, so mm -hmm. I knew what we were sort of doing. <laughs> but on the day, and, and in order to sort of you know, really get into the mode of that situation... What Ruben did was that he, he, I mean, he lined everybody up and it was like eight o'clock in the morning and everybody was dressed like it was like the Oscars or something. <laughs> and, and we were all sitting there and then he said action and then he comes in and then he starts doing his thing. And obviously everybody's like, okay, this is like super good fun. Please don't come over here. No, don't come over. Oh, fuck, he's coming over here. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and and we did that for like the first five takes where Ruben he said nothing and, and there was just that sort of you know uncomfortable feeling in the room and he just I mean when that was sort of established when everybody knew what that was like he he would ask us in before every take to sort of go back and remember how it felt the first time and he would say very little, so it would keep on. I mean, you would always have the feeling that we couldn't just improvise this because this was a very big scene, and in order to capture everything with a camera, we couldn't just let Terry do anything he wanted to. Sure. So there was a mapped-out sort of route that he went every time, and he, there were certain things that he had to do. I mean, he might just go for someone else. I mean, that feeling was in the room for those three days. So everybody, that sort of very uncomfortable thing was there all the time. And, and, and I think that sort of, that comes through. And that is why it's also very uncomfortable to watch it. <laughs> I think this is what Ruben really is very, very good at. I mean, in every scene, not just that scene, but in every scene, you sort of always ask yourself, what would I have done if I was in that situation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got, he's got, I think that's actually his brilliance. That's, that's what he does at the best. I mean, that was the same thing with, with Force Majeure. As a man, you would constantly, throughout that film, ask yourself, would I have done the same thing as that guy did? And, and in this film, I think it's the same thing. You always end up asking yourself, what would I have done in that situation? And that's his, that's, I think that's his magic somehow, that he can sort of, he writes these scenes in a way that you, that's very engaging and it's, um, that's very interesting really. And that goes for the monkey scene as well. Um, um, but I have to say, when we talk about that, I, I couldn't be more in awe of the work that Terry Notary did because I think we did that scene and we did a full run-through of the scene which is like 12 minutes every time and he did that 25 times a day. It was so inspiring to watch him work. So we, we, here at SBS we, we air a lot of shows that you've been on. Um, I just wanted to ask you about them. We, I mean, we've got The Bridge, Dicta, Anna Fields, um, and a couple more, I think. And okay. I was just wondering, I mean, these are what you have been known for before the square. And um, why do you think Nordic Noir is, has become such a big deal and why it's caught on like this? Well, this is a very hard question because, I mean... Um, no. uh, we only got two minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't think... I, I, I'm not... <laughs> it seems that, that we have turned out stuff in Scandinavia over the last sort of 10 or 15 years 
that are quite appealing to people around the world. Yeah. And when I look at it, I can sort of say, I can sort of see it's like, it's slightly darker, it's slightly sort of less, you know, appealing, and, you know, the main characters are always slightly not as likable as you would normally get them. It's like... I don't, it, there seems to have been this trend over the last 10 or 15 years that we've sort of really gotten into here in Scandinavia. And this is something that people discuss everywhere, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I can actually give Do you think maybe you it's more right of the anti-hero? There's a big anti-hero trend globally. Yeah, it's like, it, it is. I mean, perhaps it's like people wanting to sort of see people they can sort of relate to in a I mean these are people from the bridge or from you know those shows that you name it's not they're sort of a lot more flawed than 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 your average you know TV or or film hero or heroine I mean it's like they're sort of people that you can relate to and that's the thing about Christian in the square as well I think you can relate to this guy because he's not um you can you can see yourself in that because we all do that. We all go out and say that we have this, these big ideas and ideals about everything, and then we go and do exactly the opposite in our private lives. <laughs> um, I, that's my best ex- explanation. Okay, that sounds I, pretty good. That's I, a good guy. I, 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 I really hate to sort of try and answer that question because you will come across as a moron when you try to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that sounded good. <laughs> Um, we're a movies and TV culture podcast, and we like to ask our guests what they've been watching, sort of either loving or hating. Um, what what have what's what have you been watching lately? What have I been watching mm. lately? I've been watching a show on Netflix called The Sinner that I thought was quite good. Actually. Oh, Jessica Biel, Jessica Biel, and uh, Bill Pullman, I think. Yeah, uh, I thought that was quite good. I I'm working right now with. A woman called Sylvia Hoax, who was a badass in, in the latest Blade Runner yeah. film. Yeah, and I thought she, oh, she was, was amazing. Great. And I thought that was she is amazing. And I thought that film was brilliant too. I saw that in in, in I mean I went to the cinema and saw that not too long time ago. Mm-hmm. Those are my two best recent examples, I'd say. Are you actually. making your way through the Oscar films? Um, are you going to the Oscars? Yes, I am. We're going there. Yeah, fantastic. Yes, yes. I think we've got we've got four tickets, and it's like the producer, the director, and two of the actors. And I I hope they're going to take me as one. Of them. <laughs> no, I, I'm quite sure they are. Well, you're in what 99 percent of the movie. So, yeah, that's fair. Yes, please, please, can I go? <laughs> Would you be so kind? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. very exciting. Um, yeah. Best of luck. Um, yeah. With the movie, it's 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 a big experience. <laughs> it's great. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of it. I couldn't be prouder to have just you know as an actor to have had the opportunity to do something like this. This is not like, this is not something that comes every actor's way. No, it's also um, a big risk. I mean, it feels uh, like something that could could have just not worked, but it. Well, yes, it, it might, but I never thought that. I never thought that. I, I thought from the beginning this is so special. The story is really interesting. The 
the whole world of the film is like super interesting, the way that he's working and everything. I never ever thought that it was a risk, actually. Oh, wow. I thought it was an, um, an amazing opportunity to, to really go and, and, and investigate this. And I never, I, obviously, I never knew what would, would, I mean, if it would turn out. I don't know, but I mean, if you if if you're interested, I mean, if you're really interested in something and you really and you really like it and you really want to do it, you don't. I I never thought about it as a risk ever. Oh wow! I just thought this is this is like the most interesting thing that I've ever been given the opportunity to do. So so I never thought that actually. That's great. Well, congratulations and yeah, best luck and thanks so thank much for you. your thanks time. Thanks very much for your time. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Well, that was Clay's bang. Clay's bang, one of the coolest names in showbiz. Great head of hair, which we discussed. We did discuss the hair. I, I think it's a bit of a tick that, you know, after a whole year of interviews, you can still find that one. Unfortunately, it was about acting with his hair, but I do love how actors use their physical elements. We're talking about Terry Natari, but here it just happens to be the hair, the flick of the hair, yeah. or like Meryl and her glasses in The Post. I think in certain acting circles, it might be considered like a crutch. Mm, a gimmick. But I love when people act with glasses, <laughs> cigarettes, hair, all of it. The whole shaky hand yeah. cigarette thing. It's mm. great. <laughs> so The Square is nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. It's the, um, is it the 98th? 122nd. 73rd. It's in that range. Between 50 and 150, I'm sure. It wouldn't be lower than 50. It's the 90th. The ni- ah, I was close with 98. Mm. So we wanted to, um, as culture experts, we wanted to make sure we um, gave everybody our what we think is going to happen um, at the awards, what's going to win. Because everyone's an instant expert. But us more so because we're culture experts. Sure. It's on our, is it on your social media accounts? No, but it will be. It should be. Yeah, so what uh, will win, what should win, what won't win because it wasn't nominated. I don't think we're getting into that. Um, should we start at the bottom? Of a list. You know what I mean? Start with the stuff people care less about and then go to the top. Well, it says you. Oh, I don't know. Short film anime. Mm. Have you seen any Well, of see, in a work or social tipping pool, it is on your documentary short subject and your sound mixing as opposed to sound editing sometimes that you can make have a real edge yes that's where people clean up when Mm. they guess those right i find that you have to go with um the big blockbusters in those categories because they get shut out of all the quality awards (laughs) (laughs) you're really showing your biases here nick (laughs) like beauty and the beast just an enormous hit was it the second biggest grossing movie of the year first or second it was enormous it's in production design Mm. I'm sure it's going to get that. Well, it had an artificial character, like an animated character within a world. I didn't think he was that great. It's not that great. Mm. His face didn't move. You know what? Even that original cartoon, I've watched it recently. I don't know. Oscar winning original cartoon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen any of the short films? No, I have not, sadly. The only one I know about is Dear Basketball, which is Kobe Bryant talking about how great he is. So I'm hoping that doesn't win. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, if we're looking at the second, uh, the bottom half of the categories, mm. I feel like Baby Driver and Dunkirk will be battling it out for some of these technical awards, film editing and 
the sound ones. I think Dunkirk is a set for the sound because yes. for me that was a it was all about stand that. out of the film. Yeah, hearing them coming in. That, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm there again. Yeah. Yes, but Baby Driver. You saw Baby Driver. I right? did. Oh, I don't like that face <laughs> you made. Um, the sound, all the mixing, the sound, the vroom, sure, sure, shifting gears, whatnot. I thought as a car person you would appreciate that. Well, I'm more complex than that. Yeah, looks like it. Looks like it. What about Blade Runner? How do you like Blade Runner for any of these? Visually, it was a treat, and I think maybe this could be Roger Deakins' year. For cinematography? Yes. I feel like Dunkirk's getting, well. No. It'd be great if Mudbound did for a female cinematographer, but I think the scale of Blade Runner, that's where I'm going with that one. Do you think that Phantom Thread, because it's about costumes, is going to get? I think it's a lock, honestly. Yeah. I do. Beauty and the Beast was very ornate, right, those costumes? It was, but for mine, her big ball dress was not the showstopper as it could have been. I think that it hinged on that costume moment and I don't think it was an amazing dress. What about the jacket the Beast is wearing? No pants, right, if I I remember correctly? (laughs) I can't recall. I do know the film swirled around to show all the features of the production design at strange moments, but no. So costume design, for me, it's Phantom Thread. I'm saying Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Interesting. Makeup and hairstyling. Where are we here? Darkest Hour, Victorian Abdul. Well, Darkest Hour. Gary Oldman Because of Gary Oldman. Winston Churchill yeah, in that's that. that's what I think. That's a lock. Get Darkest Hour, mark it down. Wanda had some pretty excellent makeup for young Jacob Tremblay. Oh, right. Did you see that? The, the disfigured face. No, I didn't. But yeah, I saw neither. the makeup work. Um, I still think Darkest Hour. Sound mixing, sound editing, you like Dunkirk. I also like Dunkirk, although, as discussed, it would be nice if Baby Driver got something. I'm okay if it doesn't. Original song. All of these songs, I'm sure, are terrible because Oscar's songs are always terrible, except for maybe that Frozen song Mm. and the Eminem song. I can't remember. Oh, the It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. Yeah. Hustle and Flow. Mm. That song is good. Great song. For me... I think it could be from Greatest Showman. I think the production values of this, although remember me from Coco. No, I'm going Showman. I'm going Showman. Original score? Oof. This is tricky. I'm going Phantom Thread. It's Johnny a beautiful Greenwood. score. Yeah, it Great is. Great score. He, it's a big departure for him. He's normally super, well, I guess kind of depressing. And sad and serious and intense in Radiohead and in his scores. And this is, he was instructed to be uh, more romantic. Mm. I kind of like him for this. I, that's probably the most memorable score of looking at this list. Yeah. And I don't know that Phantom Thread's going to get a look in. Do you remember the music from Three Billboards? Not off the top of my head. No. I loved Phantom Thread. I'm on the record for that one. But I don't know that it's going to get much of a look in in the bigger categories. So you're saying. For me, score. Um, it's, It's getting score. It'll get costume. Okay. Foreign language film. Now, I've only seen The Square, but I hear great things about Fantastic Woman. Fantastic Woman is very good. So that's the Chilean film, uh, Sebastian Silva, that's his new one, um, about a trans woman who is in a relationship and then through circumstances has a confrontation with her partner's family. So he's very good at these stories of women in trying circumstances but not making the stories bleak like they're, they're really celebratory stories and again this is another one i'm thinking of gloria which we have it yeah, on demand here, which is great so it's in that lane and there's a great central performance from daniela vega so i've seen the square a fantastic woman and on body and soul which was my what have you been watching oh that's right you like that a lot yeah it's great i think it's probably a little too 
quiet and aloof possibly for Oscar. I don't think it jumps out as the favourite. I loved it. The Square, I don't know. It, again, that that's... Is it too challenging? Possibly. I'm just thinking of Oscar voters, you know, if they've got their stack of screeners or whatever and are they going to three-hour Swedish film to appreciate it. And, yeah, right. Yeah. And quite often the Palme d'Or winner doesn't win the foreign okay. language Oscar. So I think it could be a little too... Sounds like a fantastic I woman. I think maybe a fantastic woman. I've heard great things about Loveless, the Russian film. So Loveless is the new film from Russian director, and I apologise for my pronunciation, Andrei Zvagintsev. Mmm, delicious. Uh, director of Leviathan from a couple of years back, which I absolutely loved. And the final film in the running for that is The Insult, which is from Lebanon, and it's I think it's Lebanon's first foreign language Oscar nomination. For me, on what I've seen, I think it's going to be a fantastic woman. I think so. Yeah. And we're experts. We are. Mark it down. Documentary feature, I'm going with either Icarus because it's such a weird, what happened in that course of making that documentary is so strange. I suppose it's happened before, but I, I can't think of any previous examples. Yeah, would you where start with the premise? and it Start with somewhere. the premise, and in the middle, something huge happens, and then it takes you into mm. a totally different story. Not totally different, but a very different world-shaking story. So From I think that's really started. interesting. It is good, isn't it? This one's about doping in sport. Originally, the director's wanting to do a bit of an expose of a year of doping and then come out the other side and showed that he doped for a year and was was successful at these races. But in the course of that, he basically gets an exclusive about Russia's rampant doping scheme and has a whistleblower in it. It's, yeah, yeah fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like Russia's got some got some stuff going on with their sporting uh, situation. Yes, allegedly. <laughs> but Last Man in Aleppo, I think, is very stirring. I feel mm. like war-related stuff tends to win these categories. Well, it's sadly very topical, very urgent mm. and fantastic. I've also seen... Faces Places was what I've been watching a little while back, um, the Agnes Varda documentary, which is beautiful, like nothing, not as heavy as these, but has its own weight too, the story of filmmaker Agnes Varda on a road trip with the artist JR doing the um, giant murals on, on things. I love that film. I've got a real soft spot for that. But I'm going to go with Last Man in Aleppo. Okay. Screenplays, adapted and original. I want Logan to win. It's Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan, Molly's Game, or Mudbound. I am hoping for The Disaster Artist because I, I think it was the funniest movie of the year and I loved it and it hasn't been nominated anywhere else. And I think it's got a shot, but I also think Molly's Game has a shot because of Sorkin. True. I would not be bothered if Call Me By Your Name wins. That's a beautiful film as well. But what, what's going to win? What You say Disaster Artist? Disaster, I'm going with Disaster Artist. I want Logan to win. I think it will be Call Me By Your Name. Oh, you think Call Me By Your Name is going to yeah. win? Interesting. I want Logan to win, though. Original screenplay, The Big Sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards. Hard category. I think it's a tough one because the top three were real standouts. I think it might be Get Out. I hope to God Shape of Water and Three Billboards doesn't win. It doesn't make any sense to me. Get Out. But Big Sick was really good. Lady Bird. People talked about those scripts good. a lot. Yeah. Which is it? Get Out. Yeah. I'd love it to be Get Out. I think it's going to be Three Billboards. Yeah. Supporting actor. We've got Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project. Yes, Friend of please. the show, Willem Dafoe. Yes, please. I know that would be amazing. Woody Harrelson for Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Richard Jenkins, Friend of the show for The Shape of Water. 
Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World or Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri? We should have a version of these predictions that only involve friends of the show. <laughs> it's a shorter version, <laughs> but, but this category, we are all over it. <laughs> I think even without my bias for The Florida Project and my deep dismay at the fact that it wasn't nominated for anything mm. else, I still think it's a standout in all of these performances. Although... Three Billboards has a lot of momentum because it's won a bunch of other awards because people are crazy. So <laughs> Woody Harrelson, or like Sam Rockwell's going from being a super racist to a slightly less super racist. People are a just... self-aware super racist. He doesn't change, but he's... Does he become aware of his own racism? To a degree. Yeah, maybe. It's not a redemption. I don't, I don't think he's fully absolved. What do you think? Yeah, I would love it to be friend of the show, Willem Dafoe. I think it's a beautiful role in a gorgeous film. Um, I don't know that it's a – he doesn't have a big shouty yeah. clip to show on Oscar night. So I do think it will be Sam Rockwell. Yeah, except that guy in the um, the British actor in Spies on the Bridge, Tom Hanks movie, Mark Rylance. He won a prize for – The Bridge of Spies. And that was very understated. He didn't really, I don't think he spoke in that movie. Um. <laughs> he had some dialogue, yes. Uh, yeah, well, supporting can be gonna go either a way. quieter role. Yeah, this is a big category. Yeah, I, I still think it's going to be Sam Rockwell. Okay. But my heart says Willem Dafoe. Actress in a supporting role is next. I thought about this a lot because there's a lot going on in a lot of these different performances. Like Mary J. Blige, that feels like something that wins. In Mudbound. Yeah, her performance. Alison Janney it's very crowd pleasing. She's pretty nasty, but I felt like it was a little bit one note in I Tanya mm-hmm. as Tanya Harding's mother. Leslie Manville was really kind of sharp and funny, and um, she was like an anchor in mm-hmm. the movie, right? She's kind of in a, Phantom Thread. In Phantom I, I Thread. think she's fantastic, and I think she, yeah. that's like a classic support role. Yeah, yeah, and memorable. She's like a Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca, which obviously it was quite connected to. But she's you remember Stern sister. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't take any shit from What's-His-Face, from mm. Daniel Day lewis character. is great. Laurie Metcalf is pretty good. It's a good role in Lady Bird. It's a very good role. Complicated. And Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. She wins a lot. She's won twice. <laughs> That's your go-to. Yeah, I think she's really good. I think she's a playful counterpoint to Sally Hawkins in it. I've just got a Shape of Water bias. I don't want to... Yeah, s- I do a little bit too. I don't think it's all yeah. that amazing. But um, pick one. I'm going um, Leslie Manville. Ah, I think it's going to be Alison Janney. Yeah, I changed my mind. <laughs> I'm an expert, what? so yeah. ex- and experts change their minds all the time. Okay. So we're both landing on Alison yeah, Janney. Janney. that's all right. right. Good. Did you think it was a little one note, her performance? Yeah, I don't think it's amazing. I think it's a stronger, but Oscars, we're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. what will win, not yeah, what yeah. our sympathetic favourites are. Actor in a leading role. Lead actor. I think because of all of the momentum that he's got, it feels like it's going to be Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour as Winston Churchill. In that it's a full body performance, literally in the big prosthetic suit and face and tummy. It's a big, bold, vibrant, loud, shouty. It's all of the, you know, it's a memorable performance. And it's Gary Oldman. Um, Part of me thinks it's Daniel Day-Lewis. He says he's retiring. Are they going to give him one yeah, more maybe, just to, as a maybe. farewell present? But I don't think so. I don't think his role um, in Phantom Thread, as good as it is, has that 
prominence of say where he's won before for Lincoln or for There Will Be Blood where they're yes. big speechy yeah. jumping off the screen. The biggest revelation I, I think is Timothée Chalamet. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I don't think he's going to win. Yeah, it's a great role and the whole film is hinged on his experience. Yeah, I, d- yeah, I don't think he's going to win. Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out. It's great, but again, he's responding to what's going on. I don't think it's a prominent. Yeah. What, what tends to win in this category are your big yeah. vibrant roles, you know, where you get a speech for the clip. Denzel Washington was nominated for Roman J. Israel Esquire. He's going straight to video here in Australia. But um, he gets nominated for a lot of these, kind of, where it's his great performance in a so-so movie, mm. and he tends not to win. Mm. So I'm going with him not winning again. Okay. All right, so where do we land? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, I think. I think that's the way. If, I think that's what. If will this year aligns with what tends to happen in Oscars, where it's yep. the one who's got the best big memorable role, I think it's going to be yep. Gaza. Director, this is a tough one because if Shape of Water, um, it's got the most nominations, so it feels like that will win Best Picture and Best Director. But I am not sure because of all the three billboards excitement. But Martin McDonough, who directed three billboards, is not, not nominated. nominated. Mm. So then I'm tempted to go with either Paul Thomas Anderson, Greta Gerwig, or Jordan Peele. You mean anyone else who's nominated? <laughs> not Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Christopher yeah. Nolan's not getting it. Yeah, I don't no think he's getting this. it. I'm going Jordan Peele. Okay. I'm going Jordan Peele with Get Out. I yeah. think that's the way to go. I also think all the Best Picture nominees, Get Out is the most revelatory. Mm. And that's I think that's going to be my pick to win Best Picture mm. as well. Although I, as discussed on a previous episode, I loved Lady Bird. So mm. I wouldn't be mad if um, that won. So where did you land on that? Uh, Christopher Peele. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I do think it's probably going to be Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. I want it to be Jordan Peele too. I think it would be yep. great. That's such a smart, clever, funny and thrilling movie. Like it, it's so many genres going on in that yes. movie and it's really well directed the way it holds you. and It's achieved it achieves yeah. on every level. Yeah, yeah. And it's a hit. Yeah. Which is also very gratifying. It's also a year old, which I hope doesn't work oh, against it. Oh, that's right. So I want to say Jordan Peele. It's very unfair, those movies that come out early in the year and people forget about them. It's not right. Mm, I know, right? I think you got to go with GDT if that's what you think is going to win. Yeah. I do think so. I think the way – well, it's either Best Picture or Director or both, but I think the way Oscars love movies about movies and Shape of Water is so many film references and it speaks to his love of cinema and it's all it's all in there. It's kind of like this year's La La Land on a lot of levels for me because I didn't love it that much. But I do think he will get rewarded for having made that film. I just feel like there is a there is a backlash. Backlash? Against Shape of Water. mm mm-hmm. Maybe not as strong as the three billboards backlash, the the three BB, but it's just one of those movies. I don't know if it happens every year. It happened with La La Land where lots of people seem to like it. It gets nominated for lots of prizes, but it's not that good. Mm. And so then there's a backlash where, whoa, whoa, prizes is a very nice little movie. Who cares? Why is it getting all these prizes? I feel like that's kind of the tone of the backlash. I don't think that's enough to stop. If it's a conventional year, which I hope it's not. I hope this yeah, year is Yeah, nobody be a wants a conventional but, um, year. But, you know, there's a lot to admire about Shape of Water. I just didn't feel any connection to the story. But anyway. I could relate to the fish a little bit. Okay. I'm very aquatic. Yeah. Actress in a leading role. We've got, well, I think it's Frances McDormand's to yeah. lose, to be honest. I love Frances McDormand. Mm. 
She's in some amazing movies. She's great. I really didn't like... I objected to the whole premise and world of Three Billboards. And so even though I think she's good, I have to kind of... I, I think that her... I have to think that her performance is flawed because mm-hmm. she's part of this fake world. <laughs> but she's been cleaning up all the other awards. Uh, I, I don't see anyone else beating her. Margot Robbie was good in I, Tanya. Saoirse Ronan, I think, was great in Lady Bird, but I don't see that happening. Meryl Streep maybe in The Post. She was great in it, but I don't think it's... A lot of people like watching her get awards. Sure, well... They've been able to get used to that, yeah. yeah. Much as I love The Post, I, I don't think this is Meryl's year for that one. So what about Sally uh, Hawkins? Sally Hawkins. In, in the Shape of Water. She's wonderful in it, and it's a physical performance as well because she doesn't really speak at all. She's mute. Oh, that's um, right. I, I think it's Frances McDormand, and I, I say that with a, quite a lot of resignation in my voice because I don't think it's a stretch for her. I think this is the kind of character she plays. She seems to be quite yeah. similar, like in the, the delivery and the... The hardened. You it's know, like the Fargo character with yeah. without the subtlety and yeah. Um, complexity. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be her. I think it's going to be. Yeah, Francis. yeah, agreed. Um, Drum roll. Best picture of the year of 2017 is awarded in 2018. Totally forgotten about by 2019 <laughs> is. Don't get it wrong here. Get out. Boom. Nope. I'd love it to be. I would love it to be. Um, we probably should list this one. Let's get comfortable. Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. Dunkirk. Never heard of it. Get Out. Loved it. Lady Bird. Loved it. Phantom Thread. Great. The Post. <laughs> Very good. The Shape of Water. Meh. Three Boards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. We know what you think. No. Um, no. So you say get out. What's interesting is, in my heart, it depends on how you view the world and how cynical you want to be. So the cynical side of me would say, yeah, of course, I think Shape of Water will win because it feels like an Oscar movie. And like you said, it's about movies and they love that kind of thing. But I am choosing to believe in um, the better nature mm-hmm. of humanity and that they will pick something truly revolutionary in Get Out. Okay. I like your optimism and I would love to see Get Out win. I'm afraid I think I'm landing on three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, this my month because God. I do Don't think tell I me. think maybe Even though Martin McDonough's not nominated? Yes. Doesn't that usually indicate that worked for Argo? Was Ben Affleck not nominated no. for Argo? Poor bastard. Uh that's my immediate recollection. I'm sure it's happened before. Um I think did Driving Miss Daisy win? Yeah, for Best Picture. Yeah, and they said the film that directed itself. Who directed it? Bruce Beresford. Australian Bru- Australia's Bruce? Australia's own. There's not another one. Okay. But that's a far, That's a long time ago. Sure. I just I land on that, and I, I don't necessarily want it to win, but I do think, given Oscar voters and mindsets, and I think a lot of people think that Three Billboards is a comment about racism and a comment about strong women and a comment about a lot of things, and I think that's an easy hook, and I think... Of the two films about racism, I think Get Out's a far superior film. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love Get Out. I think it's going to be three billboards. Let's hope that doesn't come to pass. I'm sorry. I've ruined your day. Well, that's about it. Enjoy the um, the Oscars. Enjoy winning all the money with our picks. Don't forget to get on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. Leave an incredible review. Five stars. Five stars. 
If you need to get in touch, email us at film at sbs.com.au or follow us on Twitter or Facebook at SBS Movies. Fiona, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at anything but Fifi. You can find me at, at Nick Bassine. See you on the red carpet. 